This morning we'll be looking at the ninth chapter of Ecclesiastes. And so uh, if you have your Bibles and want to open them to chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, that's where we'll begin this morning, chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, would you join me in prayer as we begin in God's Word this morning? Fathers, we open your Word. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds through your Holy Spirit. Reveal to us those things that each one of us needs to learn this morning from your Word. And it is an amazing thing. I, I, I think of it and say it probably so often that some people maybe even get tired of hearing it, but the reality of knowing that each one of us can come here on a Sunday morning, each of us at a different spot and place in our walk with you, with different needs, and yet have the same passage minister to each of us. And so we come to you and ask your Holy Spirit to do uh, just that. Minister to us through your word as we share it together. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. It says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil to the clean and the unclean, and to him who sacrifices, and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an, uh, an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil and madness as in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more, uh, excuse me, no more share in all that is done under the sun. Verse seven: Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be also white. Let not be oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now again, we can read through this and, and say it's getting depressing. No, it's just over and over and over again. He he comments on this vain life, if you will, and again, understand the word vain means like a wisp or a smoke. You know, it's something that you can't grab a hold of, even though you try. And uh, he sees life that way in the world. But there's a phrase that you have to keep seeing that keeps coming up: under the sun. What he's saying is the world under the sun really meaning ignoring God, 
just the world the way people see it and the world as it is under the sun, ignoring God, this is the way it is. There's not much there to be joyful about. So, you know, it's, it, it, it is a sad thing. You, you know, you're born, you live, you die. And that's the thing in, in, in uh, Ecclesiastes that he points out more than anything else is that death is inevitable. We all share that. I have some people who will say, oh, well, wait, if I'm caught up in the rapture, I don't die. Wrong. Even in the rapture, you die. You must, this body must perish in order for a new body to be given. And so uh, it doesn't matter uh, how you look at it. The bottom line is this body is uh, fallen flesh and must die in order to give way to God's promised uh, resurrection and the new body, new heavens, new earth. But let's look at these verses uh, to, uh, as, as we've read them all at once. Uh, let's take them apart a little bit. Uh, look at uh, this idea that, that, well, first off, you know, there's, if you want to put it in a way of an introduction, uh, there is little uh, uh, joy. And people find their joy, you know, they're, they're anxious about so much. And I was thinking even today, the news, depending on how you interpret it, and again, not to, to politicize anything, but just the idea that you watch the news, it can cause you to be very anxious, whether it's the, the economy, uh, look at the stock market, boom, 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 boom. For somebody, that has been a blessing, by the way, for, but, but for most, it's been a, a concern. Okay, so the economy, as we watch it, as we watch the health issues, uh, both at home and globally, as we look at the, the, the situation with family and the reality of the stress on the family to the point today in our culture that, that the family has really fallen apart compared to what it has been. The family, what was God had intended as the nucleus of, 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 of life and the nucleus of, of even the, 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 the culture, has become something uh, that is broken and and fallen apart. And so we look at that and, and we have an anxious culture. Uh, and, and I want to suggest to you that anxiousness is the opposite of what, what God wants us to seek, which is His joy. You, you know, we're told that we are to what? Rejoice. That's why I read Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. And then you turn around and turn on the news. Okay, and, and, and uh, be thankful in all things. Rejoice in all things. And I'm thinking, how can we be that way? And yet, in Romans chapter 5, we have a persecuted church that's rejoicing even in their persecution. And I realize there's something here that I'm not catching if I'm, you know, if I'm just looking at my culture to be my source of joy. And that's really where the, the book of Ecclesiastes is coming from. If your joy is based in the culture and culture alone, you're going to be disappointed. There's not going to be any happiness. And so when he says be happy, you know, how, you know, uh, find something to be happy in or whatever, uh, how do we get there? So I'm going to come back to, you know, anxiety is the opposite of joy. We're told to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, you know, too many years with kids. And, you know, this, uh, again, he says it later, so we, we come to this and say, okay, looking at this Scripture, how can I get there? 
First off, in verse 1, it says that basically God in His sovereignty, and God is sovereign. It says, in, you know, all of this is talking about uh, uh, examining all how the righteousness and the wise and their deeds and all that goes on in the hand of God. In other words, that is a picture that ultimately it's in the hand of God. God is sovereign. He's acknowledging that. Nothing, if, if God is sovereign, then what happens outside of His desire? That can be very frustrating, can't it? If you think about it, if you've had a tragedy in your life and you say God allowed that, I've had a few and, and I've, I've wrestled with that. But the other side of it is to, to, to realize, no, God in His sovereignty knows exactly what He's doing. A plan made before the foundation of the world. God is sovereign and He has a plan that He says will end in His glory and to all who have chosen to receive Him it, to our glory as well. He will share His glory with us. He will share His inheritance with us. Christ will, we are joint heirs with Christ. All the things that Scripture says. So in spite of the, the condition of the world as we look around today and see, and, and we, we realize that those who are in Christ Jesus, we have awesome promises that we can rest in. And so when it says to rejoice always, we turn around and realize the reason why we're rejoicing isn't because something bad happened. By the way, is it okay to grieve? Scripture says as, as a congregation, for instance, as the body of Christ together, when one grieves, we what? We come alongside and grieve together. When one celebrates, we come alongside and celebrate together. So when one uh, is blessed, we, we share in his blessing in the sense of celebration. When one has a, a, a sadness or a grief or a loss in their life, uh, we come alongside and we comfort and, and, and come alongside and we don't say, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the trite verses when, when somebody is grieving and, 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 and at the very moment of the trial and tribulation that they're going through, someone comes up and says, but all things work good for those who believe in God. No, you come alongside and you think of the, the verses that show compassion and ministry and come alongside and, and bless and pray and, and support. At some point, it'll be an appropriate time to say, you know, God works all things together for those who believe and they work, He works it out to good. But the reality is, is that we rejoice not because of the condition of the world, but we rejoice because God is sovereign. And so, God is sovereign and everything is in the hands of God. And, and then in verse 2, it says something interesting. It says, it is the same for all. What's the same for all? Well, the same event happens, and it says, then to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices, to him who does not sacrifice, as to the, the, the good one is also the sinner, and he who swears an oath is, is to he who shuns an oath. Uh, all is the, the, there's an event that happens, it's all the same. And so you're supposed to be asking yourself as you go through this, what is it? What's this event that is equal to, in a sense, everybody will experience, no matter what they have done, whether they have come and followed after God or whether they have shunned God. If they've, if they've joined, like I think in Psalm 2, the, 
the, the, the kings of the world shaking their fist at God and saying, you know, we will not give in to you. You know, we're not going. And God turns around and says, I've already appointed my, my king. You know, it's already a done deal. But, but go ahead and shake your fist. The people who are shaking their fists and those who are resting in God, it doesn't matter. There's an event that's going to happen to them all. And that's what the Ecclesiastes is, keeps coming back to. And, of course, we, we say, what is it? We already know the answer if we've been reading through and, and, and listening to the, the Scriptures. But, you know, it says, even our children will experience this. By the, and there's no way we can cause this to not happen. There's nothing we can do to undo this event. And so in verse 3 it says, The same event happens to all, uh, and it happens to those under the sun. Uh, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Uh, and actually the, the word evil here is tied to that word vanity. Uh, it's full of wispy smoke and, 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 and stuff of the world. And, and, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And then they go to the dead. The event that Solomon is talking about here is death. It is inevitable. It will happen to everyone, no matter who you are. Whether you're in, in God's kingdom, out of God's kingdom, it makes no difference. Death will come. It's the same for all. Even for our children. So all I could put in my thoughts here was, here we are again. Death. Universal. Genesis 3.19 talks about it after the fall of man and the judgment coming down and it says, ultimately, dust to dust. Man came from the dust and to the dust he will return. And it will happen to all his descendants. Romans chapter 5 talks about the fact that, that uh, the death that Adam brought into the world is, comes to everyone that is of the flesh of Adam. Every one of us are of the flesh of Adam. We live in this fallen flesh. This flesh will never be perfect. I think about it in the, in the context of those who say, well, you know, I've been walking with Christ so long that my life is really full of, of, of purity and, and the Word of God, and, and I can't remember the last time I really sinned. Well, that in and of itself should get me struck with lightning if I was serious. And I said it with, you know, kind of pulling away from you and away from the side of the pulpit even. Um, you know, the, the, the idea is that you know, God says, if we, if we have that attitude... We're just fooling ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we are such a blessed people. We have an advocate. Go to, you know, in Christ Jesus, who stands before the throne of God on our behalf. And because of what he did on the cross, he has the right to stand there as the one who covers us, he is our mediator our advocate, our lawyer. Think about it this way. If, if Jesus is our lawyer and it also says He's the ultimately God has handed over Him the judgment of all, we come in as our lawyer is, our, is, is the judge and He has judged us 
innocent, not guilty. Romans again, chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing thing to think about. Because when we're honest with ourselves, and that's really part of what happens with Ecclesiastes, is you start to think, but I kind of fit into that group, you know. Uh, and, and you realize who you really are. All the more you should realize what it is that Christ has done. We should never find ourselves in a position where we are in lack of awe as we think about what Christ has done. I have to confess that there are times in my life where I get very casual in the sense of, of my walk with the Lord. I, it's not something, you know, I, you know, I, I don't... I, I don't think about it every moment of the day. And if, if as I look at it, it's, it should be something that I think about. And I, and I recall, and I've shared this with you many times uh, over the years, uh, a person that I uh, met at a, at a, uh, a gathering that his, his watch would go off. This was right after they started getting watches that would beep. And, and it would go off five minutes after the hour. And it was set to do it every hour in, a, in, in the typical waking time of, 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 of the day. But five minutes off the hour. And, you know, it's one of those things that kind of like, there's something wrong with you? You know, the watch has us, you know. But his thing was, it was to remind him, has he in the last hour given God any recognition for who he is and, and what, he, what he deserves in the sense of, awe and, and worship and reverence. And he says it doesn't matter where he is. If he's, if he's standing here and he can look across the, through the, the, the part of the window that's open over there and see a tree, he can be amazed at the awesomeness of that, the, the seed to that tree. You ever think about that? The seed for a, a, a huge oak tree. That one is not an oak tree. I don't know what it is. It's a magnolia tree or something. But the seed for an, an oak tree uh the is 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 not it, you know and, and you look at it and this huge massive tree a redwood all of this stuff well redwoods come from the the uh, don't come from the seeds do they <laughs> do they <laughs> okay i was thinking of the root system and how they keep sprouting up through all the roots and stuff too but uh it's amazing all of the the information that's needed is in that seed. When we look at, 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 at animal life, between the egg and the sperm, all the information is together in that little microscopic piece of information. It's all there. What that is going to be, and, and the reality that it can't be anything but what that map is for. And you look at it and you just have to be amazed. And that was what this guy was getting at. He says, you look across it and you look out the window and you see a flock of birds. You're amazed at, what, at, at the reality. of. And, and you think, if you're, if you're thinking this through, I have to respect that this guy had figured out a way to bring himself back to the reality over and over and over again through the day. The awesomeness of who God is, his plan of creation that, that was before the foundation of the world and how it would go. And even though man would sin, God put it together a way to save him and through Jesus Christ, his son. And you look at it and, it, and 
you start to put it together, it's a some people say it's a very complicated thing. Well, if you if if you let it be, it will be. But the reality is, is that if we rest in Christ, even though what we don't know, we turn around and surrender and say, "But God has got it figured out. It's in His hands." So I guess what I want you to make sure that you understand this morning is that no matter what the condition of the world, death is inevitable to this body. But you know, God has got everything under control. Nothing is amiss. And that is something that we are to rest in. I, I like this, this uh, uh, little uh, proverb within the framework of, of this in chapter 9. It says, you know, uh, in, in verse 4, uh, for a, a living dog is better than a dead lion. You have to understand the Jewish culture to understand this. Dogs were not pets in the Jewish culture. No, neither were lions either. Uh, Well, Solomon might have had some. Solomon actually did was known to have some, so I should be careful how I say that. But generally speaking, the dogs were scavengers. They 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 lived in the wild. They came in and into the garbage uh, dumps and, and places like that. And, and that's how they survived. They, they were unclean as unclean could be. And it says, and, and so Solomon is saying, it's better to be a living dog than a dead, majestic lion. And, and the, the reason for that is that the, there is still a chance of hope uh, in this. So, as we look at the scene, he says, but who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. The hope is, is that in the process of all of this, we will end up understanding what God is doing to the point where we will what? Rest in him and not in ourselves. As death happens, the next couple of verses basically is just to say that they'll, you know, you, you, when death occurs, you no more, there's, you no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. In other words, your opportunities, your chances of any thing with God or not with God, it doesn't matter what, it's all over. And it's important there also to grasp. How many opportunities are we given? How many lifetimes are we given to get it right? One. We live once and then the judgment. Okay. So, as I'm looking in here and kind of reading between the lines and pulling the New Testament and what I understand of that and what I see in Scripture, even in the Old Testament, that God's wanting to have this relationship with us, I realize that once I die, any opportunity to be right with God in any way, shape, or form is over. So that's why he could say being a living dog is better than being a dead lion. You know, there's still opportunity. Once death happens, you, there's no more share in all that is done under the sun. Again, under the sun meaning on this earth. 
So, or therefore, or however, whatever word you might choose to plug in here that's not there, therefore, I put, go. First thing he tells us to do is to go. Eat your bread. How are we to eat our bread? With joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart. Well, what if I don't drink wine? It's a general statement. Drink your tea with a merry heart. You know, drink your coffee with a merry heart. Drink your water with a merry heart. The idea is, is that you were to eat and drink with joy and a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. And we've already said it earlier. Who has provided the bread and, and our drink for us? God. We do have an understanding of God, Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. And, and so he's saying, recognize God in his process is approved. You know, this is something he's given us. It's a gift. Your bread and your drink is a gift. So enjoy it and do it with a merry heart. And, and let your garments all be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So go eat your bread with joy. Drink with, with a merry heart. Uh, and by the way, this idea of enjoy again uh, is, is with thanksgiving. With joy is implied with it, with thanksgiving. That's how come we have a joyous heart. We celebrate with thanksgiving. That's, you know, we know God has provided. That's where we have a sense of joy. Well, by knowing God has provided, we give thanks to Him. So we come to Him with thanksgiving. Eat your bread. Drink, have your drink. Have a merry heart. A heart that rejoices. A merry heart is a heart that rejoices. Uh, and, and God has approved this process. This is, this is from God. And then again, this idea of, in verse 8, white garments and oil for the head is a sense of celebration and worship. White garments is the opposite of what you have if you are grieving. What, have, what, what did they wear in, in, when they, they were grieving over or, or mourning or, or distraught? Uh, a series of things that happened that caused them to be distraught and they were coming before God. They would come dressed in sackcloth. And instead of oil poured over their head, they had what? Ashes. Okay? White and oil are the opposite of sackcloth and ashes. I think that's the most important thing to grasp out of this. And, and so we're to come not as despondent because of the conditions of the things around us, but in the hope that we have in God, we come celebrating and rejoicing, even though this world is crazy. And obviously, as we look at this, this is, you know, our lifetime isn't the first reflection of a people that look at it and say, man, you know, I, I, I want to be cautious how I say things, but, but I, I, I can, the phrase going, you know, this is, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, the idea is that we look around and it's corrupt. And we see corrupt and evil everywhere. And then we stop for a moment, which we have to do, and we examine our own hearts and realize that there's corruption even in us. And, and we're, we're, we could become very despondent. Woe is me. Woe is me. Look at the condition of the world. 
And I've even contributed to it. Woe is me. Sackcloth and ashes. God says, don't come. That's not the way it is. Not if you're my child. Not if you're resting in me. You can eat your bread with, with joy. You can drink your, your wine with, in, in, in a sense of, of rejoicement, rejoicing. Why? Because I've provided it for you. And in the process, come to me to celebrate. Come to me with that sense of joy and celebration. Come dressed to celebrate. And so I looked at this and I put, you know, happy, line, depressed. You know, uh, groomed, <laughs> disheveled. You know, we're to be happy. We are to be groomed in a sense that we're going to come before the throne of God. We're going to see Him face to face. At some point, at some time, we're resting in this promise. Even though we can't fully comprehend it and we don't fully understand it, the one thing we know is that if we confess Him as our God and, and the One who will save us, then we are His and we're His children. And as a result... We're going to come to him groomed and, 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 and happy. Now, I want to be very cautious with this. The idea about what groomed is before the throne of God. As I stand in front of you in shorts. Um, we're not talking specifically about what you have to wear. Although, to an extent, you know, you're not coming in your bathing suits. You're not coming, you know, in, in your, your play clothes or, or whatever, if you will. You're, you're coming with the idea that we're here to worship and we're coming to the presence of God. But what if, you know, I, I think of going back. Uh, I, was, I was in a church and I was uh, part of the, uh, the choir because at, at a point younger in my life, I actually had control over my voice. And 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 I could if somebody could start it, I could sing in the right key. Uh, and I was sitting next to a, a young man who had been in. Again, he, he more than once had said it. I've been in church all my life. Um, and a young couple came walking in, and you know his his clothes were not a suit. You know, and and they were a little bit. You know, he had the vest. He had the, 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 the beads. He had the long hair and the beard. And the girl was clearly part of the same culture he was. We, they're hippies. You're typical hippies. And his comment was this, Oh my God, look what the wind blew in. I don't, I, 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 because we were sitting up behind the pulpit in the choir uh, benches, I know that we were the only ones that could hear that. And there was a couple of little giggles you know, from the comment. And I thought, I wonder what they said when I first walked in. Because I came in my blue jeans. I came with the long hair and the full beard. Well, it's no surprise to you, obviously. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, you know. So when it says come with the idea of white clothing, your best and, and stuff like that, what it means is come it's really to be a, a picture of 
coming with the desire to be in worship, the desire to be clean before the Lord. And, and yeah, I'm not going to, uh, you know, as I under, uh, you know, go to church and, and whatever, uh, the, the question mark is, do we have to have a dress code? I hope not. But at the same point, we want to come as not a distraction. So we want to be careful with that. By the way, you can be overly dressed and be a distraction too. So, you know, the idea is really here is the condition of the, of the, the heart and the mind that we're really looking for here. Coming, you know, clothed in white and, and, and uh, uh, ready to, to worship the Lord. Uh, be, let your garments be white. And the oil poured over your head is the idea of the anointing of the Spirit. The oil being poured over your head is the blessing of God. Come ready to receive. Be ready to... to, to and, 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 and don't come, you know... There, there's a tendency in, in some cultures with Christianity and some seasons in, in the church of Christianity that if, if we have anything that's too nice... We're, we're spendthrifts or we're wasting money, this type of thing. And I just want to get the, to the point where it, it, the idea is, is that we're really talking about the heart, not the, the, the attire. Okay? Enjoy, he says to, that we are to... So this is, we're talking about attitude. And then he says to enjoy your spouse. You know, it says enjoy your wife, but the, uh, the typical picture. Enjoy your spouse. Celebrate your spouse. We need to think about what that means. And there's a lot to be said to that. And I don't have time to go into it. It's, it's a series of messages all by itself. But the key to enjoying your spouse is how do you look at your spouse? How do you talk about your spouse to other people? How do you relate? In other words... Are you a person who, when you talk about your spouse, are lifting them up? Whether that person is there or not? You know, standing, uh, I can think of times I've been working in construction, someone will come along and say, oh yeah, my, my old lady does da, 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 da. Well, already that's disrespectful. But then the other guy will turn around and say, well, you think that's, this is what I have to go home to. You know, that's not one who is honoring their spouse, who's enjoying their spouse, who's lifting up their spouse. A person who lifts up their spouse thinks of them as to, I want to create the best impression I can verbally to you as to how I look at my wife. I think of the good things, the positive things. Let no unwholesome word come from your mouth. And then that understanding that you're going to be held accountable for every word you say. Think about that. Okay, uh, enjoy your spouse, celebrate your spouse. And, and by the way, tied to this concept of spouse would be your family. Celebrate your family, enjoy your family. It's not, and God created it, the idea of, of spouses, the husband and wife to be together in the family. It's, he said very distinctly, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created for him a helpmate. Enjoy your spouse. Verse 10 says, uh, it talks about your work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. With your might means with all your ability to do it good. And we have Scriptures in the New Testament that says, we're not to be 
men-pleasers. We're not doing our work to please our boss or our supervisor or whatever. We're doing it because all that we do, we do to the glory of Christ, to glorify Christ. So when I'm at work, even my job becomes an act of worship. If you want to know how to be dressed in white, there's an attitude check for us. That our work, that our employment is an act of worship. Celebrate your work and and you show it by how you do it. So we are to go, we're to eat with joy, drink with a a merry heart, dress uh, in a a sense of celebration for Christ, uh, know God's anointing on you, uh, work in the context of serving the Lord, rejoicing. Again, I say rejoice. This idea of rejoicing in all things has to do with every aspect. What if I've got a job where my, my employer doesn't like me because I am a Christian? Is that a possibility? Could that happen? Yeah, it can. Then my my goal is to do everything I can to do what I am to do with this job. I can't. There's some things I may not be able to do because I might be asked to do something that would be against God. And I will share with you an example. Company that I worked for in San Jose while I was in Bible college. They found out I was in Bible college, and that was. The beginning of a lot of turmoil at times. Because they, 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 a few of them actually got to the point where they, the goal was to do whatever we can to make him slip up. The warehouse manager come out with a Playboy magazine and open it up and say, what do you think about that? And I said, what am I supposed to say? You know, that's a beautiful woman. You know, and he says, no, read the caption. Texas Christian University co-ed. He said, see, you know, and I said, all I can say is, is that she has to answer to that, not me. And what else, you know, it was a constant thing. Always, you know, coming with that, that understanding. And finally, it, it, it got down to the point where we had to answer the phone. The name of the company had a 50s name for an unfinished furniture store. Anybody that understands unfinished furniture in the 50s when it was just really becoming popular was Nude Furniture. And the name of the store was Nude Furniture. Well, up to that point, there was nothing offensive used in that, but now their new advertising came out. Thank you for shopping nude. We were supposed to answer the phone. Thank you for shopping nude. I couldn't do it. I said, thank you for calling Nude Furniture. This is Bob Hapgood. May I help you? I didn't have any problem calling the company what it was, but the inference was something I couldn't share. My manager didn't like that. He finally found an opportunity uh, where they, they were cutting back a little bit. He let me go. When the new owner, well, the old owner actually, came back in, they were looking at the sales records. They said, what happened to this guy? Oh, well, you know, we, we, he got let go. And in the meantime, this manager had gotten let go for reaching in the till, and uh, he immediately gave me a phone call and called me back. So God blessed me for standing where I, was, where I was supposed to and drawing a line. But still the idea is, is 
when you do your work, you do it to the best of your ability, but you do it first to God's glory, not as a man pleaser. So we eat with joy, drink with merry heart, dress in a way that celebrates the, the awesomeness of who God is, know God's anointing, work serving the Lord, rejoicing in all things. This all reflects on life under the sun. Looking ahead to the good news of God. We live under the sun. We live on the earth. But we are looking ahead to the glory of God and the, and the good news He's brought us. Even in the Old Testament, they were looking ahead to the good news that God was going to bring. We're blessed because we can look at it and add to it the good news. We're on the other side of that time and see what Christ has done. Jesus Christ came to bring eternal life. There is more than just the word sheol which he uses in this, this passage. Sheol was the place of, of, of death. And if you have a picture of it, and I don't know, I, I think, you know, I believe, you know, God, uh, Jesus' parables were best bet based on realities. And he has a picture of, of, of Sheol. And there's, there's two places to it. Rich man and, 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 and Lazarus. Lazarus, a poor ill man with, with de, de, uh, degenerated uh, disease that was causing hives and, and sores on his body and stuff like that would be outside the rich man's house every day to get the, the, the trappings from the floor, from dinner, to survive. They died. It says the Lazarus, was, came, the angels came and carried him away. And it says, and the rich man was in Sheol, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it doesn't say anybody who came to carry him away. And uh, the rich man is, is, is able to see Lazarus with Abraham. And the rich man recognizes that it's Abraham. So obviously there's, there's a supernatural ability to see and understand. And he says, Father Abraham, send the Lazarus over with a cup of water. It's a little warm on my side. And Abraham says, we can't do that. The gulf between us is unpassable. And so... We see that, that picture of, of the rich man and, and, and Lazarus. That, that was the picture of Sheol. Now we have for us the picture of heaven without that gulf, without that section, without that part. Why? Because Christ is resurrected and, and drew with Him the, 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 into heaven those that are saved and, and established it now. And it's, we, that's who we are. We rest in that. We are there. We are in the kingdom of God. We are His children. And, and, and it's because of what Christ has done. And so, just before we have communion, I just want to go back to the book of Philippians and, and look at another passage. This one in chapter 2. Again, talking about our, our, our character and our attitude. Uh, you know, People who rejoice always, he's saying here in verse 5 of chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you are in Christ Jesus, this attitude is available to you. Have this attitude, which is yours. It's yours to have if you want it. It's available to you. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
In other words, he was equal to God already, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. John puts it, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh. It's the same picture here. Made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant or the form of a man, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, became a man. How much man did he become? 100%. And yet he was God in the flesh. Somebody say, well, how is that possible? It's only possible for God to do that. No man could ever do that. There was nothing that we could bring to the throne of God as a sacrifice that was perfect, and yet he said it has to be holy. Be holy as I am holy. We can't get there, God. He said, oh yeah, you can. All through the Old Testament, he was pointing to how it was going to work. And those that are, are, are of the faith of the Old Testament that believed in God were waiting for that promise. And when the promise came, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we rest in the confidence that that is what has been done. So that we come back to this picture that I, I quoted out of First John. We are those who have sin. Don't fool yourself. We all have sin. But we have an advocate in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is our defense attorney and he is also the judge. And he says, there, he brings us back around into Romans chapter 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to celebrate who we are. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We have a reason to celebrate in white cloth. We are joint heirs with Jesus. As we approach communion, it's an opportunity to examine ourselves. And uh, I will share with you in a minute uh, scriptures from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, but right now I'd ask the ushers to pass out the emblems, hold them until we've all been served, and we'll share together.